There's no question that Christians should be involved in trying to end racism, for example, and to cause justice to occur, to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give water to the thirsty. No question about that. But the gospel is the passion of the church. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcast, then you know we're in an intensive study of the Gospel of John. This entire study of messages, family discussion guides, and radio programs can be found on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Today, David continues this study with a message called, Jesus Cries Out. Moving into the study of the Gospel of John, we left it where Jesus had hid himself, and then the different religious leaders were divided over who Jesus was. In fact, some on the religious council called the Sanhedrin actually believed in Jesus. We know Nicodemus did. We know Joseph of Arimathea did. Uh, He is the one, Joseph, who gave Jesus the tomb in which he was buried. Interestingly, though, they didn't speak out about him. They were afraid to be excommunicated from the synagogue, the fear of going through cancel culture, the fear of people not liking them. Uh, becoming unfollowed, uh, threatened them so that they wouldn't speak out. And as I said last week, you cannot be a secret service Christian. You just cannot. If you love Jesus, you've got to speak out. You've got to take bold stands for him. Dear friends, that's what's happening among many Christians worldwide. I would suggest to you today that we have an anemic American Christian church. We have a church that understands about coming together, maybe even singing some songs together, going through liturgies and motions. We do not have people who understand the true power of Jesus Christ, standing firmly for him. We have too many Christians who are more concerned about being canceled or being unfollowed or having a thumbs down than we do about people courageously and boldly standing for Jesus. And I want to point to two churches right now in the world that I think emulate strong, forceful, dynamic churches that are faithful to Jesus. It's first the church in Iran being led primarily by women who are standing forth in their faith and forming house churches. The fastest growing church in the world is the church in Iran. And again, it's under possible persecution, imprisonment, and even death. And yet, these Christians, led by women, are saying, no, we will stand for Jesus. That's the kind of church Jesus painted when he said, the pupil's not greater than the master in John 15, 20, for example, as what they did to me, they will do to you as well. And they persecuted Jesus. He had to stand for truth, even to the point of dying a death on the cross. The second fastest growing church in the world, interestingly, is Afghanistan. And as you're seeing everything unfold there, that will make some sense at the end of my message when I share with you about our hope gift today. But the place I really wanted to point out today regarding the growth of the Christian church is in China. We don't know exactly how many Christians are there, but it's been estimated around 100 million. Now, that may not seem exceedingly large in a nation that's over 1 billion people, But really, it's grown so fast over the last years, the 100 million persons is really an extraordinary number of Christians. Interestingly, the Christians there live under the threat of persecution, imprisonment, and death as well, just like in Iran, but they're standing boldly and firmly for Jesus. Um, The love of Jesus has consumed so many 
Chinese Christians' hearts that they're living in peace amidst all the conflict, amidst all the crises, including COVID, that surround them. They're living in peace. And here's what is regularly happening in China, knowing that if you openly and avowedly admit you follow Jesus, you could be killed or imprisoned. A a person might be asked by an unbelieving neighbor, what's the source of your peace? Why do you have such calm amidst all the crises surrounding you? And the Christian will often say, I can't tell you. And the other person will say, you can't tell me why. And he said, I just can't tell you. And the other person will go, that doesn't make any sense to me. If you have the treasure of peace in your heart and I'm living in turmoil and I'm asking you to share with me why you have that peace, why won't you tell me? And then finally, the Christian will say, well, if I tell you, you'll be confronted with a choice. And you'll have to choose whether to possess what I possess, which may cause extreme trial and turmoil in your life, or uh, you may choose to reject it, which means your eternal salvation might occur in a negative way before a holy God. And of course, the person might then ask, no, I want to know. And then the Chinese Christian feels free to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're sinners, we're headed toward hell. Jesus was sent by the Father to come and rescue us from that destination, died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and has been raised from the dead to prove that he's God and give us the power inside of us now to live with peace amidst all of our conflict. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once it's understood, you've got to make a choice. And if you choose to believe it in China, you will choose to be persecuted. And that's why Chinese Christians pause before they share with their neighbors what they have inside their hearts that give them such peace. They live as a power-filled church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There's no anemia spiritually there. They are alive, dynamic, and growing. Then you look at the American church. When I chose to follow Jesus into ministry in 1976, I went into seminary and I saw the mainline church skidding toward the left, more and more reducing the gospel to mere euphemisms and hackneyed phrases. The true unfiltered gospel was not being preached. And so I identified myself upon graduation and entering into my first church as what's called an evangelical. Uh, The word evangelical comes from the Greek word euangelon, which means the good news. And we are called as preachers of the gospel to proclaim the good news, the evangel. And that's why people are called evangelical. The heart of their faith commitment is the gospel. You know, the church has one offering that the world does not have, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church can mimic other organizations that serve the poor and care for justice and all of those issues which aren't unimportant for Christians. They're just not the main thing. And as Stephen Covey, the famous writer, once wrote, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. The main thing of the Christian church is the gospel. Then once people are saved and have the gift of eternal life and the power of the Holy Spirit living within them, they are to care for the poor and the needy surrounding them. 
there's no question that Christians should be involved in trying to end racism, for example, and to cause justice to occur for people who are treated unjustly and to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give water to the thirsty. No question about that. But the gospel is the passion of the church. And I started seeing in the 1980s how the mainline church was slipping away from the gospel and getting involved in all these social causes, and I just took my stand then and still do today, that the gospel is the unique part of the church's life and ministry, and it must be faithfully and regularly proclaimed. That's what Christians in Iran know. The gospel is the main thing. That's what Christians in China know. The gospel is the main thing. And that's what Christians around the world, especially in persecuted contexts, understand as well. And I don't think the American church, because we have the freedoms we have, understands that. And we're seeing the mainline church and other churches just slipping in numbers, slipping in influence in our culture, and secularization rushing in. All I can say to you is I commit myself until I have no breath in my lungs to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, in the evangelical church, around 2016 is when I can best identify it, had what I call a fault line occur uh, underneath the surface, almost in a stealth way. Uh, The evangelical church started to shift and be more concerned about issues of racism and justice, etc. And I found myself going, oh my, the evangelical church is following the same path as the mainline church in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And I have a deep concern in my heart. You'll see that same slippage in the decades to come with the church becoming less and less powerful. Now, let me say this, though, very clearly. In the Bible, the faithful believer, the faithful follower of Jesus, there's always been a remnant. There's always been a group who will not yield to culture, who will not give in to the world, who stand firmly on the Word of God and what it teaches and the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that we're not trying to just preach a gospel and a doctrine that tickles people's ears. We're trying to preach a gospel that literally transforms people's hearts from the inside out. Romans 8, 29, Paul said, the gospel conforms people to the image of Jesus. When it gets inside of you, it gets inside of every part of you and conforms you to being and acting and living like Jesus. It can transform any of you with sexual problems, with alcohol problems, with other addiction problems. It can transform you. It's the power of God unto salvation. And I really believe that we need to reclaim Romans 1.16 that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's power into salvation. We need to understand Galatians 1.10 where Paul said, if I wanted to people please, I wouldn't preach or believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel will alienate people. First of all, it points out they're sinful and secondly, that if they remain in their sin, they're going to hell. It's an offense to a culture that believes in self-sufficiency and secularization. But as you look at those people who said they loved Jesus but never spoke out about him, you're seeing the same phenomenon happening here. People who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but never tell anybody about their faith in Jesus. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever let anybody know the evangelism of my heart, the evangelical evangel gospel that dwells within me. We are called to faithfully follow Jesus. And all I can say for me and prayerfully for this church, we will be committed to Jesus, his word, and the power of his Holy Spirit and mostly committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to have people-pleasing drive us, not to have followers, not to have a huge platform, but to be faithful to what he has called us to do and to be. Now, why did I use that as a long introduction to today's verses? John 12, verses 44 through 50. 
Because after Jesus saw some people, especially high Jewish officials, believe in him but not willing to speak for him, he goes public for the last time. These verses are the last public teaching of Jesus before he just dwells with the 12 disciples, John 13 through 17, and then ultimately goes to the cross. When Jesus does this teaching, he is within several days of the cross. This is probably done on Sunday, maybe Monday. Jesus is to be arrested Thursday night at midnight and be placed on the cross at 9 o'clock Friday morning. So he's within days. He's within hours of going through the horrific pain and death of the cross. And so he gives this teaching to all of those who are now still listening to him. Folks, this is Jesus' last public ministry. Um, And as I get ready to say this, by the way, one quick kind of funny thing I'm reminded of that might set up the message real well. Um, A man received from the IRS a note that said, final notice (laughs) of taxes due. And the man turned to his his wife and said, honey, isn't this wonderful? Uh, The IRS is sending the final notice. Now they won't send us anymore after this. (laughs) Well, this is Jesus' final notice. This is Jesus' final public warning to people. Look at what he says. In verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, so in this public meeting, he cries out. It's with a loud voice. It reminds you of John 7, 39, when Jesus cried out in the public assembly of the Feast of Dedications, and he said, if anyone will drink of me, I will pour into them and out of them, then will flow streams of living water. He cried out at that moment, same idea. He openly, loudly, with a great voice, proclaims these truths. Whoever believes in me. So notice that, whoever. Here's the gospel. It is for everyone. Whoever believes in Jesus, not in me, but in him who sent me. Not just in Jesus, but to know the gospel. What is the gospel? We are sinners. We're born that way. We've inherited a sin nature from Adam. The proof is we don't obey God's moral law. We have a rebellious heart within us, and our destination is hell. But God so loved us in his holiness, he can't have a relationship with us because of sin. He's perfectly sinless. He finds sin reprehensible. He must cast it from his presence. That is hell. He created hell originally for the devil and his angels. But for those who don't believe in him and don't accept the gift of forgiveness from their sins, they will go there. But God so loved the world as well that he doesn't want people to go to hell. So what did he do? He sent his son. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a mystery for sure, but God the Father said to the Son, go, and the Father sent the Son, a sense of hierarchy there that ultimate authority is given to the Father, although the Father and the Son are equal, still a mystery, the Father sent the Son into the world, Jesus, the word means Savior, born as the perfect God-man in a Bethlehem stable, lived the perfect life we can't live went to the cross to take God's punishment upon himself so that we wouldn't have to have it, and then gives us the free gift of forgiveness in order for us to appear before the Father one day as forgiven and have his fellowship in eternal life. That's the gospel. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you've also got to believe in the one who sent him, the Father. That's the message of verse 44. He cries that out. Then he continues his teaching in verse 45. 
And whoever, there's that whoever again, anyone who believes in Jesus can receive this free gift. He dies on the cross for every person. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So I get asked all the time, what's God like? Give me an understanding of the character of God. And and I always respond, look at Jesus. Jesus is the earthly mirror of the eternal Father. Now, you need to know there are two kingdoms. There's an invisible, eternal kingdom where God dwells. There's this earthly, temporal kingdom where we dwell. God the Father sent his Son from the eternal kingdom to this earthly kingdom. And no one can look into the face of the Father and live. It's impossible because he's sinless. So he sent his Son clothed in human flesh so that we can look into the face of God and still live. And Jesus shows us the grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, love, etc., of God the Father. So if you want to know who the Father is, look at the Son. Much like, it's not a perfect analogy, but if you want to know who I, Howard Chadwick, is, Ishmael Howard Chadwick, that was my daddy, well, ask me, because in a way, I am the mirror of my father born from him. Actually, people tell me I look some like him, that I talk some like him, I act some like him. In a real way, I know his teachings from living with him, near him for, you know, 70 or so years. So if you want to know about my daddy, ask me his son. Now, in John's gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, the famous John 3, 3, 16 verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The word begotten does not mean created. It does not mean that the father created the son. The son is preexistent in eternity. He lived forever. The word begotten means of the same nature. So Jesus is of the same nature as the Father. Again, he's the mirror of who the Father is. If you want to know about the love, grace, forgiveness, righteousness, holiness, etc., of the Father, look at Jesus in his life, mirrors who the Father really is. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 45. Now look at verse 46. Jesus, I have come into the world. Now stop there. Whenever you see Jesus say, I have come, it's talking about his job description. It's saying why he entered this world from eternity as a baby in Bethlehem in human flesh. And he says here, I have come into the world as light. So the implication is this world is dark. Satan is the ruler of this world. Um, We see in Colossians 1.13, for example, that We have been delivered from the domain of darkness of the enemy. In in 1 Peter, we've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So the light of the world, Jesus in John 8, 12, the light of the world, Jesus said, I am that light, came to do two things, to give us the next step, how to live in this world in all of its darkness, and also to give us the pathway home. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with great tips on maintaining a great attitude. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. 
Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us. It's great being with you, Jen. I hope you're doing well, too. I am. Thank you so much. In this morning's e-devotion, you gave us biblical verses that really encourage all of us to keep a positive attitude. Will you share these with our listeners today? I will. And the Davidism is actually your attitude determines your altitude. Hmm. And in explaining it, we understand, once again, the power of positive things thinking, that our minds control our emotions. So let's do this again, as we've done in previous Moments of Hope. Ask this question, am I optimistic? Do I focus on the past or the future? Do I refuse to be a victim? Do I look for the good things in life? Am I thankful? Here's the point. Your attitude determines your altitude in life how high you will rise up, not only in your personal, but probably business success as well. Scripture says it this way, Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Followers of Jesus choose to focus our minds on the things that are above, Colossians 3, 2. We believe that God is using all things for good using even evil for good, Genesis 50, 20, that he is weaving everything together for our good and his glory, Romans 8, 28. So Christians should therefore refuse steadfastly to complain. We will not dwell on the negative. We will not become the victim. Conversely, we trust that God is overseeing our lives. He's in control of all situations, using everything for our good and his glory. That's the essence of faith in Jesus. So let's learn from our failures. Fail forward. Don't give up ever. Keep trying, believing good days are still ahead of us. For this principle is absolutely true. Your attitude determines your altitude in life. I think this is so good, such a now word for us. And it reminds me of the Corey Ten Boom book that I'm reading right now, The Hiding Place, and how even in that lice-infested room, her sister Betsy said, but look, Corey, the lice are keeping the officers out of here and letting us do our own business. And I, I just love that attitude. Well, there you go again, Jen. That's another Bible verse from 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all things, not some things, a few things, most things, but in all things, because we know if God is sovereign, he has to be in everything, somehow, some way, weaving it together for our good and his glory. And when we become the victim, 
when we start playing the blame game, which started in Genesis 3 with the fall when God you know, confronted Adam and he blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Whoops, bad joke. Sorry about that. I got it. I got it. (laughs) But the blame game was played there. It never leads to prosperity. It only furthers, deepens you in the ditch. You've got to understand the power of your attitude to increase your altitude in life's successes. That is so great. Great insight for us today, David. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all for listening today. And if you would like to receive these daily Moments of Hope in your inbox, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They are free of charge from my heart to yours so that the one thing I want to have happen, your heart is always filled with hope and you can begin each day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.